welcome to another episode of the Beef Bits Podcast. I'm Dr. Jeff Limcooler, Extension Beef Cattle Specialist at the University of Kentucky. Through the Beef Bits Podcast, we will share current news, management tips, new research, and other issues related to beef cattle production. I'll be joined by various guests to bring different views and insights on beef cattle topics. I hope you will follow or subscribe to the Beef Bits Podcast and find the information useful. Welcome to another episode of the Beef Bits Podcast. Today I'm joined by my colleagues um, and we're going to have kind of a kickoff of uh, almost the one year anniversary of uh, COVID-19 with the UK Beef IRM, excuse me, the UK Beef IRM team. Uh, Dr. Les Anderson, Dr. Dare Bullock, Dr. Um, Katie Van Balen and, and Kevin Laurent, our beef specialists at Princeton, are all here with us today. Welcome, everybody. Afternoon, Jeff. Hey, Jeffy. Yep. That That's the traditional Southern uh, hello right there. Yep. Yep. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, couple kind of current issues. Um, I don't know if any of you have seen the, the drought monitor uh, index and, and looked at it lately, but um, after the rain we had the other day, we're, we're setting pretty good. But when you look at the United States, um, almost half of the uh, U.S. is rated in the somewhat dry to kind of severe, dry, severe drought status. So what do you guys think that may have an impact on the beef industry as we roll through 2021? Hmm. Well, I mean, just me personally, I'm I'm just rooting for a good corn crop. I think <laughs> I think we need to grow the grow the heck out of corn this summer. So uh, drought drought monitor in the corn belt gets makes me a little worried. So uh, we need we need a good corn crop to help beef prices. I think. <clears throat> One thing you could think too is if there's a drought there, they may liquidate more cows, and so that could. Uh, actually help in the long term with the beef industry as far as when our when our cow numbers go down prices are going to go up and so you know we'll have a maybe a little higher peak ultimately but in the short term kevin man we we got we got to have a good corn crop man yeah but that is a good point last long term i mean that does i guess that's what spurred that run up back in 2014 was all that persistent drought we had in the that was more in the where the cattle are, you know. That yes, that, that was a lot in the the high plains in Texas, you know. Yeah, we don't need it in the corn belt. We need. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There you go. Strategic point. drought. Strategic <laughs> drought. Yeah, right. I don't. I think we're. Yeah, that's we're gonna get in trouble. <laughs> Rainfall. Yeah, yeah. That's the that's the the detriment of a you know a lot of times in in. Uh, whatever you want to call it, the irony of agriculture. A lot of times, one segment has to hurt for the other segment to flourish, and that's kind of kind of sad. But that's no, that's true. That's the nature of the beast, you know. Kind of what it's kind of what happens when you don't control either your input costs or your revenue. <laughs> We're subject to other people. That's right. <laughs> Well, and you know, we were we were probably coming at a time where um, uh, we were going to start rebuilding some herd numbers, don't you think? I mean, as you look at the cattle cycle and where we were at, we're starting to maybe get to that point of rebuilding. Yeah, you know, USDA report was one percent lower. Um, you know, I'm sure you guys uh, follow Jim there at Bluegrass Stockyards, but 
he's pretty convinced that Kentucky is closer to three to four percent lower in cow numbers. And you know, ever since he put that out, I think I've seen another dozen cow herd dispersals. And I'm just talking commercial cows, not seed stock, just people that have been in the business for a while, got a good sets of cows and and you know, it it sure seems like it sure seems like we're spiral continuing to spiral down. So, you know, um, for those that can can stick with it, we might be okay, right? Yeah, do you think that's a reflection of our producer age? Sure could be, man. Man, it's probably a huge contributor. I, I know we all seem to be getting a little grayer. Speak for yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> the only one that can say that. Uh, well, let's switch some gears. Um, so we, we're sitting, you know, quite well, and and that is one of the things that um, recently, within the last couple of years, I've had conversations with folks that have moved out of the kind of the Southern Plains and uh, the Southwest and have relocated here and started the cattle industries here because of more precipitation. And so that trend may continue if this drought continues to linger down in the Southwest. Restaurant trade. Um, you know, we look at beef prices coming out of this uh, first part of the year and the uh, you know, beef demand, and at least at the retail side, beef prices continue to see see some improvement. Um, I was looking at a recent report, kind of pre-COVID numbers, food service um, dollars, and, and these are millions of dollars, but so uh, food service was bringing in about $65 million pre-COVID, and grocery stores um, were about $57 million. And just to show you how much that changed uh, shortly after COVID, food service dropped in half or more uh, to 30 million and restaurants picked up that gain. And, and I'm sorry, grocery stores picked up that gain by um, about 20, close to 20 million and jumped up over 70 million. So um, we definitely see a trend of people eating at home more and the numbers are bouncing back. We're back up to about 54 million in retail food service uh, type of dining out situations and grocery stores have fallen almost 10 million. So uh, as we move through this year, we're getting to that point uh, where grilling season demand is going to start kicking in. Hey, Jim, and I was actually going to say, you know, that it, 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 motivated me a little bit i i cooked a pot roast not too long ago and it's it's been a little while you think consumers are maybe even uh going back to some of the traditional foods because everybody was trying new stuff during covid so maybe it was good from that standpoint i think that's a good point um the other thing that i noticed uh, it's a huge number of folks that seem to have picked up the smoking you doing a brisket mm-hmm. All that kind of stuff. Yep. Yep. Done my share of that too. <laughs> Which is good. I mean, it supports uh, industry and, and continues to move that product that we need moved. Um, you know, along that lines, I read something the other day too that we're still struggling with a little bit of backlog. Slaughter weights are still about 20 to 25 pounds heavier than they were a year ago. And so uh, we're still trying to work through some of the cattle and, and get these cattle killed a little bit lighter. 
but that's still been a bit of a plague on the supply side. Let's see uh, some other current news as we move forward, uh, thinking about the time of the year. Here we are in March. Les, what do we need to be thinking about as we move into um, kind of this springtime and thinking about getting cows ready to get rebred and thinking about bulls and bull power and some of that kind of stuff? What are some timely tips? You bet. Well, the main thing is right now, you know, it's still 85% of our cattlemen or at least are spring calvers and everybody's probably right in the middle of the very beginning of it stay diligent you know i i spend a whole lot of time jeff talking about getting cows pregnant and getting cows pregnant and keeping them pregnant with vaccinations and so forth don't spend much time talking about making sure that they're born alive and stay alive and just stay diligent i mean I've managed a few farms, and, man, those first few calves are really exciting. And you're there, and you're checking them three times a day, and you're paying a lot of attention. You're getting after it. And then after that first two weeks, it's like, doggone, man, I'm tired, you know? And so just stay – I just encourage people to stay diligent. Just just think about that potential revenue you're losing uh, with each calf that, that, that struggles and, and keep with it. And, and don't give a cow more than 90 minutes. Of, of actual hard labor before you try to get some assistance. And, you know, you, first thing you do when you get in there is make sure it's coming correctly, you know, with a normal presentation. And if you can make a quick and easy pull, get it out. Tons of data demonstrate that our cows rebreed at a much higher uh, proportion or percentage if we can get that calf out easy and without her having any trouble whatsoever. And so one of our, one of our big issues right now and again you know this is where we're still pretty excited about Kevin but coming up you're going to get tired of it and just just stay diligent and 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 get get those calves out and get them on the ground and 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 watch them uh to make sure that they don't get sick because you know you get a run of scours go through it's going to be pretty tough too Jeff that's true only other thing I really think about right this second is body condition score uh, Dr. Van Valen had a great talk the other night on body condition score that uh, we want to refer everybody to that, uh, the rally uh, reaching out while locked in series, but got to make sure that our cows uh, maintain as best we can body condition between calving and breeding because uh, that's going to dramatically impact their conception rate. And so uh, that, that's really where I'm at in, in March. I start thinking a little bit more about sinking and bulls and so forth here in another month, but those are those are the uh, key points for me right now. Those are some good ones. Hey, Les, I was going to say, you know, you were talking about the staying diligent, and I agree a hundred percent. It's kind of funny. Uh, you hear farmers sometimes say, "I had to pull a calf the other day." I always say, "You got the opportunity to pull a calf the other day," because it's worse to be the other way, right? that you have that needs to be pulled and and doesn't get pulled. And so, um, yeah, we need to do everything we can with our breeding program to make sure we have enough calving yeast and and we need to make sure our our heifers and and cows have enough nutrition that they can, you know, have that calf properly. But if they get in trouble, we need to be there to help them. And that don't ever, don't ever regret pulling a calf. Be thankful you have the opportunity. Absolutely. One one other thing that I I need to mention is, 
you know, if you've got a little bit of time during the day, and I know a lot of folks work and, and don't have, you know, that eight to four, eight to five hour window, but if you feed at night, okay, you're going to shift when those cows are calving. And if you happen to have somebody that can watch them during the day for you or, you know, it's kind of it's kind of handy to have your cows calving in the daytime versus in the middle of the night. I've been on many of those other, you know, other opportunities where it's 2 o'clock in the morning, it's 35 degrees, spitting rain, and you're trying to pull a calf out in the middle of a holler with a cow tied to a tree, right? <laughs> it, 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 it isn't fun. And if it was day, if you could at least see if it was daylight, you know, sun was out and maybe it was, you know, 35 and sunny, something like that. Anyway, if you got a chance and it works into your, your production system, I would definitely feed them, you know, feed them your, your supplement at night because biologically that times are calving to occur more often in the daytime, which is, you know, fairly important for, I think for, for saving calves. And so, uh, Jeff, I don't know if, you, if you've had the same experience, but uh, the data certainly is there. The science is there. Um, yeah, and I, I think it may get a little bit more challenging when we're, you know, setting out two or three days worth of, of hay and uh, trying to control when we're feeding from that perspective. Don't, don't anticipate seeing huge shifts if you're following that type of management. So as we as we think about uh, some of some of those kind of prepping for bull um, as we move into April, uh, you know, there there's going to be a lot of sales coming up here real soon for folks looking to buy bulls. And there's been some changes with um, the Cape program on on uh, bulls, and particularly for our guys that are going to be selling bulls. What are, what are some of those changes that are going to be in place this year? Well, the biggest change is, is that uh, for, and, and you have to be careful when you talk about Cape, to talk about which money you're talking about, but 2021 money, so, so those that are using the new money and buying a bull, uh, they will have a genomics requirement on top of their, you know, the, the normal EPDs. Uh, we've done a couple of things. Uh, they've removed two of the categories. So there's only four categories now. So uh, limit a little bit there. Uh, but and, and the other thing is, is the adding the, the genomic requirement. The other thing that we've done, Jeff, is um, for traits like the balance trait and for carcass, uh, we're starting to put a little more emphasis on some of the selection indexes. And so uh, particularly for balanced trait, there's an opportunity for several of the breeds uh, to use that um, uh, their more maternal kind of an index to make your selection decision. And there, there you only look at two numbers, just that index value along with the calving ease direct EPD uh, to qualify. And then for carcass, it's the same thing, uh, whichever, you know, the, the feedlot and carcass index for that breed along with at least reasonable calving ease direct uh, to qualify a bull, you know, for the carcass category. So those are probably the, the big changes, at least to the, the CAPE program. And so as, uh, as I'm thumbing through a, a sale catalog, looking at all these numbers and EPDs and some of those things, um, what would be kind of your recommendation on some things to have in hand to try and 
you know, sift through and sort and start making a initial list of potential bulls that might be of interest to me? First thing I'm going to tell you to do, Jeff, is go look at your cow herd and, and identify what you think is the predominant breed in that herd. And for most herds, in this, if you're a commercial cattleman, uh, and I think we all know that for most Kentucky cattlemen, uh, that's going to be predominantly Angus. And sometimes it's starting to get up in that 75% or greater category. Uh, for those guys, I'm going to recommend and I hate to say this, guys, but it's the truth. Don't go to an Angus sale. You need to go and you need to crossbreed. So you need to buy something to put on those heavy influence Angus cows uh, to boost your heterosis and hybrid vigor. And then once you've done that, then you can switch back if you want to go back on the Angus side of the next bull you're buying. But, but we've got to do a better job of crossbreeding. There, there's of all the things I talk about, I talk a lot about EPDs and we've started talking about genomics the single thing that people can do to make more money with their with their breeding program is to do a good job with crossbreeding. And so uh, that's that's number one. Once you're there, Jeff, then don't get too caught up in all the numbers that are going to be in front of you in that sales catalog. Identify the traits that either put money in your pocket or can take money out of your pocket. Once you've concentrated on those traits, then find the EPDs that work and fit for your operation, your management, uh, and just worry about those EPDs and those traits. Don't don't make it too complicated. Um, and and you know the, the the last thing I'll say is 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 that we always need to consider matching our genetics to our resources. Uh, if you know that that. That, well, potentially we might have a drought type of a year, and, and usually we get one every so often, uh, and you don't want to reduce the size of your herd, well, you better make sure that your cattle aren't overly productive for the type of management that you have and the typical grasses that you have uh, on your operation. Um, I, I see a lot of times that people will tend to put particularly too much milk in their herd for the resources that they have to provide for them. And that's a great thing for getting bigger calves. It's not a great thing less if you want to get your cows rebred and you don't feed them properly. So um, that's what we're concerned about and, and just highly encourage folks to match those genetics to the resources they have. We, we kid last a little bit about, um, since he's the one that picks the sires out that we use out at the research farm here, uh, but uh, there's been some emphasis on some foot structures and an EPD for um, uh, kind of feet and legs, or at least for for feet. Um, let's tell us just a little bit about what um, we ran into out at the research farm, and then there maybe you can talk a little bit about the the newer EPDs on those. Yeah, you know, uh, and actually we've had this problem since. I got, I got here in 97. I mean, we had troubles with feet and legs and it's been an ongoing issue. Um, and it's going to sound weird, but it's, it's our number one selection criteria. But the problem is, is we AI a lot and we can't see those bulls. And I, I, I never really wanted down AI, but that's the, the, to me, that's the huge problem uh, with it, with implementing AIs, I really don't get to see those bulls, and and I trust the people that are helping us choose bulls. But doggone, we we just continue to have feet and leg problems. It's 
you know, we uh, will have, you know, cattle that are set too deep in the heel. And so their rear leg, their rear hooves are going to grow out uh, and curl early. Um, and then we, the other problem we have is those inside toes will turn and they'll, they'll get too long as well. And they'll, they'll curl. I think it's probably a 50, 50 split, maybe a, a 60, 40 to the front end over the back. Um, and it happens. It It's just occurring for us way too often. We're, you know, we've really just had three total sires yeah, since I've been got here in '97, where we didn't have feet and leg problems with those, with with cat, you know, females that we kept out of those those bowls. Um, it's pretty sick. It makes me sick when we're on the third year of a cow's production, and you look down. I, you know, you just preg checked her. You look down, and her rear toes are curling up, and you know you got to get rid of her. Uh, I, I, you know, I wish I had a great answer. Um, but uh, to, to the problem of it, but right now we're just calling. And I, you know, I think there's, there's probably some environmental issues that are going on. And um, whether that's the silage that we feed Jeff or the endophyte that they consume, because we know that that changes blood flow to the extremities. And we know that that changes hair shedding and, and, and I'm sure it changes hoof growth. But, you know, I'm not 100% sure what all it is. But, you know, that deep in the heel, I know what that is, Jeff. <laughs> deep in the heel is a, is a is an individual issue. And, you know, so we uh, we continue to work on it. Uh, you know, I, 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 you know, you sometimes get in trouble when you say stuff like this and you talk about industry issues like this. But I, I'll be honest with you, I think everybody has trouble with it and most people are ignoring it for the most part. And um, there, I you know, I'm not sure 100 percent what you what you think about this. And Kevin, I know you see a lot of cattle. Um, what do you guys think? Yeah, that's a good lead-in. I was going to ask Katie. Katie, you you see the the cows down there and at Princeton and uh, Kevin too. Um, how would how bad of an issue is it in your herd? Because there's a bit of different genetics um, in the Princeton herd. There is, but you know, we do have one common denominator, and that's that Les picks out our sires too. <laughs> there we go. The old bus comes driving by, and Katie chunks him under. <laughs> Good job. Well, uh, I, 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 I'm not going to be able to say that because Dr. Burris chose those genetics for many years. Well, since I've been here, Dr. Anderson's been picking the bulls, so. Um, you know, we see it some in our herd, too, even though we've got some of the Brangus influence in our herd. We're still seeing some of those same uh, foot issues. This past summer, we had a, a bred heifer, and I went out and was checking on them, and, and I looked down, and her toes were already curled, and she hadn't even had her first calf yet. So that's not a good feeling at all <laughs> when you go out and you see them that young with foot and leg issues. And they're examined at weaning. Yep. So it's not like we don't look at it and all of a sudden it appears. It just, you and know. And I would say, you know, being a research herd, our our cows and heifers probably come through the chute more than than most people's on, on most operations. So we get them up and, and look at them and have those opportunities to look at them a little more closely probably than, than most people. And so, and we, yet we still have issues with it. So, 
you know, in the last few years with the West Kentucky bred heifer sale, that's probably been – I've probably screened more heifers out because of feet and toe curl in the last two, three years than I have on any other defect, you know. And um, I kind of get accused of being a little too tough on them. But, but, but you know, it's cleaning it up. Um, it's got our consigners looking at that when they select bulls. Uh, that and that docility EPD there, I don't know how reliable it is, but I've got a lot of our consigners, man, they, you know, they won't buy a, a, an Angus bull in this case, unless it has a 20 or above, you know, on that docility deal. And, um, so they, they've worked hard on it in the, in the feet deal. I don't know if we've got, if we're there yet on EPDs with the, the claw and the set, what, what is it? The, the claw is the other term. Uh, right. The set angle. Yeah, that angle to the pasture and then the, the claw, whatever. But uh, yeah, I'm sure it's going to get better. You know, as they get more numbers, you know, that might be something you can look at, you know, when you select an AI sires in this case, Les. Uh, yep. No, I think I think it's going to be – I think it's – I mean, any of the EPDs we have are are good and do what we need them to do. Um, I, I was really happy to hear Les say that, um, you know, it's not all a genetic thing because that's the first thing everybody wants to think is this is totally a genetic thing. But uh, that environment's playing a pretty big role in it. The heritability on, on foot angle and all is probably in the 0.3 range. So there's still a lot of other influence that's happening there to, to cause the problem. So, uh it's a it's a total management thing, Les. It's not just a buying the right bull. It's a total management thing, I think. Les, uh, you weren't there the day we were filming that there uh, made me get in front of the camera for the BQA, BQCA video uh, <laughs> with Tommy Yankee there in Anderson County. I, I, you probably know what herd we used. I don't – that's not my territory, so to speak, but I'm going to tell you what. That guy's heifers through the shoot that day to get the filming, you know, the the uh, footage and whatnot. And Matt, that guy had an immaculate set of feet and legs on those cattle. I, I was so impressed with. I mean, they were closest thing to perfect I've ever seen come through for for heifers of that age. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, that's Don, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, Katie, I've been picking Don sires for years too. <laughs> okay. Hey, man, I threw okay. that. One plate for you there Les <laughs> but man that, that's one of the things that that that's one of the things that I, uh, I that really concerns me about the environment that we have here here at the farm and why and you know of course I'm thinking that it's that there's some weird endophyte thing going on but that's probably wrong I mean um, but you know there the the sires Kevin that we used at Don's we've used at a lot of places and these are the same sort of sires that we're using at Princeton and at Woodford. And the feet and legs on those cattle are, are just different than what we have here. And so it really, it, it pushes me there to think that this is an, there's an environmental interaction going on here that we haven't identified yet that's creating more feet and leg issues than, uh, than genetically should be occurring. And it's, you know, it's something that we've, searched for and you know if other people have tons of problems about it, it'd be kind of fun to talk about in a in a, a, a podcast or a zoom or something like that but it 
it's just it's a and, you know, and Jeff, you help uh, Don with his nutrition. I mean, those cattle, those cattle are in good shape. You know, they are. You know, I I still think it there's the potential for for some dietary influence there you know we, we use corn silage and some grain and uh, don is pretty much all non-starch uh distillers byproducts and and roughage and so that there could be a bit of acidosis that might be influencing that you know starting these cows too fast on silage and too fast on starch i was actually gonna ask about the starch and the corn deal with silage too because uh I had an old professor at LSU. I mean, he, old Dr. Smart, he swore, he used, they'll never feed corn to a cow. They'll never, <laughs> I mean, you know, they, corn is for finishing cattle, not for not for the breeding herd. I mean, he was, you know, that was his, he may have been a little extreme, but he, he swore starch and corn just ruined feeding legs. You know, that was, <laughs> of course, we didn't have a whole lot of corn in South Louisiana to feed either. So, you know. <laughs> but, well, but, and, you know, you bring that up and there's other issues that we don't fully know. You know, are there some mycotoxins on the on some of that top silage that um, sets these cows up for some issues less? Like you talked about with the alkaloids from the fescue. We, there's a lot we need to learn about that. But, uh, well, let's move on from feet and legs. I just wanted to bring that up. And, and Dare, we didn't give you a chance. But so um, tell us a little bit about those EPDs uh, for the feet and legs that are out there. Right, and that's that's what I'm saying, Jeff. I mean, I, I I'm confident with any of the EPDs we have, uh, whether it's the new feet and legs with new udder scores and everything else, that um, uh, that that if you select for the improved values there, it is going to help you in the long run. So, do I think it needs to be the number one, you know? trait to, to focus on in very, very few cases, uh, would I say that that needs to be the primary focus, but, um, but it is another trait, uh, in your toolbox that, that particularly when you know, you're going to be keeping back replacement heifers, uh, that you probably at least want to screen out those bulls that have very bad values for those EPDs. That's a good point. So, uh, Kevin, uh, as you guys are rolling through, we're going to be weaning, if folks aren't already, some of these fallborn calves. Um, you've worked with a lot of folks trying to get them thinking about preconditioning and, and selling in value-added sales. And you've got the PVAT program uh, to help with that. And then also, there were some loads that were sent out to Iowa, uh, gosh, did they go out in December maybe for... Um, the retained ownership program. Give us a little update on some of those. Well, I'll, I'll start with the say the bad news first, and then we'll end on a positive note. The the cattle we sent out in Iowa is probably the best set we've ever sent, and those were sent in in August. Uh, as far as an even load, Katie, you were there, and we loaded those out at Union County. Uh, we got the closeout on nearly all of them. I think there's still ten still on feed. Um, it doesn't look very good. I mean, as far as the dollars and cents and, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a $200 loss, uh, uh, you know, if you on an average basis. And I tell you, they got hit with a, a down market in terms of fat market was down and then they get hit with the $5 corn and it was just a terrible situation. Now that same bunch of cattle last year, uh, had a $40 loss when the market tanked, right? right at the end of that feeding period. 
the cattle graded really well as far as the closeout I've seen so far. Um, and I mean, they were over 85% choice. Uh, the cattle got fed a little long, I think. Uh, we were in that seven, almost seven-tenths of a back fat range when we were really shooting for five-tenths. So we have not had a follow-up meeting. Uh, we're going to have a good sit-down Zoom-type meeting with the folks from the feed yard in the program up there. And uh, I've got a lot of <laughs> – I've got producers with a lot of questions, you know, and, uh, and we're going to go over that. One thing we did do a little different, and I'll give a little shout-out to Ben Lloyd, Part of that, of one of those loads, we actually helped uh, Doug Shepard finish out a load. We finished out with some open heifers there, Les, and uh, some hefferets. And we don't have all the data yet on them, but I have a feeling, you know, sending those hefferets probably either broke even or made money. Because, you know, if you think about that, you know, those are going out with a, a starting value, uh, you know, probably in that $80, $90 range, you know, is all you could get for that kind of a, you know, that thousand pound open heifer standing in Kentucky, there's not many of them like her at the sale barn on any given day. So we, you know, we chose to feed those. We sent about 20 of those on that deal. So it'll be curious to see kind of what the dollars and cents come out on those. Um, obviously, most cow-calf folks don't have enough open heifers to put a load together. But I think that's kind of interesting, though. I mean, the, the value of something a lot of times is all relative to where it is and you know, what the opportunity for that, for the next person that owns it, uh, happens to be. So, uh, you know, four or five big heifers at a sale barn in Kentucky might not be worth but 80 cents, but if you could feed them, um, and turn them into, a, you know, as long as they kill before 30 months, you know, they're just like, in, in terms of dollars and cents, they're just like any, any fat calf going to slaughter at 14, 1500 pounds, you know? So, uh, that'll be interesting to see how that comes out. Um, as far as the precondition, we'll get more on the positive note on the, on the precondition side of PBAP. Um, we, I haven't finished all of the closeouts for the February sold calves, but the ones in December averaged a little over $80 return. Uh, again, feed costs kind of got in, in the way a little bit. Uh, market was just a little stagnant. No market's been just draggy. You know, we've had some little bit of run up and then it backs it, you know, it retraces all its steps happened just now i mean we had a cph sale a week ago in owensburg and and did okay uh but i was looking at the market uh the board yes i mean from today and yesterday the trend i, I should say jeff and man that thing's down about four bucks again you know on the board so it's you know i the light if you look at actual prices of course that's the feeder board that's the big cattle on the on the board uh if you look at some individuals you know, uh, classes of cattle at the sale barns right now, our, our four and five weight cattle are starting to get, catch a little fire and get a little support. And that's typical. I mean, we're in March. Uh, we got through that big slug of bad weather and people are, you know, I don't know about y'all, but we've got some grass trying to green up around here. I know it's way too early, but that is the beginning of grass fever. And so that's going to get people thinking about, about, um, uh, you know, about uh, buying these kind of calves to turn out. One thing I caution on fallborn calves is be careful with that creep feeder. I mean, March is a great time to creep feed fallborn calves. However, you can ruin some fallborn calves if you, you you go too heavy on it and you turn them into little spongy, creep-fed, fleshy calves, and that is not what the folks are looking for in April and May to turn out on grass, you know. 
those kind maybe need to be preconditioned and sold in June or July. Just keep them on that good plane of nutrition and just just go all the way through and, and sell them in a preconditioned sale. If you're going to pull them off the cow and then try to hit that grass market, I think you need to pull the creek feeder out or limit that creek feed starting about toward the end of March. Let those calves harden up a little bit, I think. Uh, I don't know if y'all would agree with that, but that's uh, that would be the strategy I would use there. So, yeah, you know, it, we used to get in a lot of feeder calves for research when I was up north, and uh, every once in a while we'd get a partial load that you you knew were fed pretty hard coming in, and and you could watch their weights that first thirty days turned out on grass, they just melted everything away that that creek put on and didn't gain hardly anything. Yeah. Kevin, if, if folks are looking at thinking about a preconditioned uh, sale back later in the year on some of these fallborn calves, what kind of program opportunities are there with the PVAP? With with PVAP, uh, on it, you can go tap. You don't have to tap into just CPH. So they need to remember they can go to. And a lot of these yards have their own programs now. Even you know, Bluegrass has CPH plus several other programs that are offered. I think on a monthly basis. So. Uh, maybe even weekly depends. I mean, you contact your local yard, see what's available. What the only requirement on the selling end of PVAP precondition is you need to sell in a precondition type sale. So, um, you know, we would even be okay with folks selling to a buying station as long as they're going to get a premium and in that precondition calf is going to get treated different. Um, you know, than than the regular calf that shows up. You know, balling. So, uh, so I mean, that's that's. You know, we've got several, as far as CPH is concerned, uh, got one in April, end of April in Owensboro. I think there'll be some June sales in central Kentucky in that bluegrass area. Um, Guthrie will be in July and Owensboro will be in August. So uh, if you want to take them, you know, even a little bit longer into the yearling stage, which which usually pays off pretty good in the summer, you know, uh, especially we get that good corn crop, Les. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh the only other thing, uh, Jeff, if you can, I got two kind of announcement type things. The remember the BQCA is being offered free, and that's either online or in person. However, you want to get your BQCA, and that is compliments of the Kentucky Livestock Marketing Association. Uh, Jim Makers and um, Craig Taylor, I think that's is that right. I think those two are were um, them combined with the Beef Council. Kentucky Beef Council are uh, sponsoring that, so that is free. And uh, in fact, I just updated the online instructions this morning. We had a little bit of confusion on that. We think we got it worked out. Uh, that and then the, there's two bred heifer sales that I know of for fall cabin heifers. One in uh, it's going to be in in the central Kentucky area. I don't have the date on it. And it's usually in June. I think it's the second week in June. And then ours in in western Kentucky. We actually had our meeting the other night, and we moved it from a Tuesday night to Saturday, May 22nd. So it's going to be on a Saturday again. Um, yeah, we, we did that last year because of COVID. We had to move to a Saturday, and we decided we like it. So we're going to, instead of having that on a Tuesday night, we're going to have it at Saturday, May 22nd. So those will be for fall calving bread heifers. So. Folks can watch um, the UKIRM Facebook page and, and other uh, resources for info on those red heifer sales. Yep, yep. Sounds good. Well, well, Katie, um, you've been working on kind of 
getting some finishing uh, things up and rolling, and there's uh, a lot of feedback from our beef forum that we had um, several months ago. And, and you actually have some calves on uh, feed, and we're we're going to dive into that, I think, um, in the next session with um, uh, one of our other colleagues uh, from Mississippi State. But um, tell us a little bit, I think, with is it the Northern Kentucky Beef Group? You've got a freezer beef program that's uh, coming on with that group up there. Yeah, so the Northern Kentucky Freezer Beef Boot Camp uh, program's being offered uh, Monday nights through the, the month of March. And we had our first session this Monday, and I just gave a, a good introduction to to managing some some finishing cattle, some different systems to, to potentially evaluate. Um, and then next week, Dr. Renfro is going to talk about some of the the ins and outs and legalities of working with processors and, and finishing cattle uh, and producing a, a beef product for consumers. Uh, our colleagues over in Ag Econ, Dr. Hallich and Dr. Kenny Burdine are going to be uh, coming on after the week after that to talk about some of the business side of things. And both of them actually uh, have their own direct-to-consumer finishing uh, operation as well. So they pull from some of that experience. So I think that'll be good. Um, it's Monday nights from seven to nine Eastern time. Um, they're being recorded. So if you can't uh, join right at that time, those, those videos will be out there. Um, but if you're anybody's interested in joining in on those, they have to register, but it's free um, and just contact the Boone County Extension Office. Sounds good. Um, you, you've got some, uh, sounds like you've been busy down there too. You've got uh, quite a bit of research that's kind of still ongoing down there. And um, just tell us a little bit real quick about um, the focus of the research that's going on at the Princeton Station. Yeah, so right now we are finishing a nine head of, of steers and they are being managed in two different ways. So one group is up in the barn in confinement on more of a, a full feed, uh, more intensive kind of management. And the other group is out uh, in the pasture and they're getting uh, ad lib at this time of year, they're getting ad libitum access to hay with a supplement at about 1.1% of their body weight. Um, we've, we've upped it a little bit with the uh, cold weather that we had uh, over the last few weeks. So um, so yeah, we've got two different management styles and, and they are getting weighed tomorrow, but as of about a month ago, uh, you see a good 50 to 70 pound, uh, difference in their current body weight, uh, with the ones being more intensively managed and the barn being heavier. So, uh, which is to be expected. That's what we figured would happen. Um, but just collecting that data to show folks different ways to manage cattle and, and finish them and and go through some of the pluses and minuses of both systems. So they uh, they were about seven to eight tenths of a centimeter on back fat about a month ago. So we'll see what they what they ultrasound tomorrow. Knocking on that door. They they are, and then some of them are going to have to to hold on a little while longer because just like everybody else, we have to wait in line for our kill dates as well. So. Um, but some of them have got another row, oh, probably 45, 50 days. So they'll be, they'll be ready to go when they, when it's their time. Well, that's good. Good. So, um, 
Anybody got any anything they want to throw out there that we kind of timely tips or anything to be thinking about or anything off the cuff? High mag mineral. It's uh, that time of year. If you're calving, especially ideally 30 days, putting it out 30 days before you start calving. But uh, certainly if you've missed that time frame and, and don't have it out, it's no, no reason to not put it out. Um, so putting out a, a good high mag mineral and, and actually we've updated the recent IRM mineral um, specs for, for the high mag mineral as well. So uh, take a look at those that are available online and, and get a good high mag mineral out there to prevent any issues with grass tetany. You know, Katie, we, we, we as nutritionists kind of think about high mag mineral and, and often forget to tell people what we mean by it. So uh, if a person was going to go buy a bag of mineral and, and wanted to make sure it was quote unquote high mag for a four ounce target intake type product, what's the, what's the level of magnesium kind of target, you know, there's a range, but yeah. what, what should it be roughly? Around 12 to 14%. Um, and that's a good point. Cause there are some out there that are going to be, you know, there's some mineral products that I lay my eyes on that are, that are five or six percent, and some are lower than that. So, um, when you talk about a high mag, you're talking 12, 14 percent. Excellent. Yep, that, I see that uh, too. And you know, we 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 often will see a variation, and then some of our more conventional summertime minerals only are going to have maybe two to four percent, and um, so so people will see that there's magnesium in there, and they'll just think that oh, this must be a high mag product. Yep. Yeah. And, and usually it, it should say high mag or something to that effect uh, in the name because it is a, it is a special product, uh, you know, other than, you know, for this time of the year. Excellent. Well, what else is happening in uh, your all's world? I'm ready to be done with this. Oh, podcast is over. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly what I meant. So is everybody vaccinated? Yes. No, everybody. A question to ask on a podcast? You may have to edit this out, Jeff. Sorry. <laughs> I got my booster three weeks ago. So No kidding. I've been yeah. vaccinated for like a month. Yeah, me too. We got bumped off the list, Colette and I, the other day. We thought we were signed up, and then they, we got a text message, a email, and a phone call, all from Frankfurt, saying you are not going to get the, you know, you've been bumped. So we signed up again for next week, so we'll see. Yeah, you Louisiana folks, you know. You don't need no vaccine. You're too tough. I guess we got, we already are immune, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I'm with you, Dare. I'm ready for it to be over too. So. Yeah, but I tell you what, we we can't get we can't get too eager. We I still think we got to be a little careful. Um, even though I'm vaccinated, I'm still taking every precaution possible. Maybe a PI, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody, if there's anybody got any last uh, commentary, what's uh, Anything exciting in the sports world? I was just going to say, we made it the whole way without talking Kentucky basketball. I thought we could have got out of here without having to talk about it, Jeff. 
Oh, we can yeah. edit it out. <laughs> I think they already edited it out. The real problem is there's nothing to talk about. <laughs> it's kind of odd to be doing a, a UK sponsored podcast in March and not be talking about basketball. Yeah. It, that it is. And, uh, but there's always next year. Well, Jeff, I'm going to, you know, since I brought up the other topic, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up a topic of your son. Why don't you brag on your son a little bit? We've been following him on Facebook, uh, running for, for Louisville there. That's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, it's a, a little bit of a, of a proud parent moment. He, he just got back from the uh, ACC conference uh, last weekend, and he uh, competed in the heptathlon and ended up meddling and uh, making – second team uh uh acc conference team so uh had a had a good day that's really cool cool so so what's he got to do he's got to run jump throw everything right so that's right yeah seven seven events and uh for for somebody that had never thrown shot put or uh, pole vaulted or any of those things uh he's done pretty well so so imagine Justin shot putting. <laughs> I had a hard time wrapping my head around that. He's what six five, six six? Yeah, he's six six and uh a bit of a bean pole. Bit of a bean pole. I, I, I had a hard time wrapping my head around watching him throw a shot put. <laughs> he might have that leverage, you know, that long arm he can sling it, you know. I don't know. That's right. All but, that beef he's eating, Jeff. And, and let me tell you, he can eat it. He can put it away. <laughs> yeah, I complained about that the other day that he'd come home and cleared the freezer out. <laughs> hey, Jeff won't say it, but one of his other kids, is, his daughter, is gonna is a serious contender for uh, Miss Softball this year too. So no kidding. That's cool. oh yeah, she's she's a stud, man. Wow. I'm a, I'm just as proud as her as well. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm looking. You know, it's going to be nice. Uh, Claire signed the the play at Bellarmine, and so both of the kids will be there in Louisville and be able to kind of take take care of each other when they need to. But um, it makes it a whole lot easier for for mom and dad to go watch them compete when they're that close. Yeah, Bellarmine's a neat campus too. We I had two of my kids go to Governor Scholar there. That's a that's a pretty cool place. That really is a neat place. So that'd be and, great. Yeah. And I don't know, Les, um, I think they're going to try to have a softball stadium in there here real soon. You know, they they were supposed to put up a, a new, um, pretty uh, uh, modern facility this year, but something called COVID put them behind. So I'm not sure. I, mean, I think their plans have changed to, re- to renovating. Uh, versus building, but uh, yeah, I mean they got a pretty good, uh, pretty good softball facility anyway. It's just uh, you know when you're they're in the A Sun, and that's you know it's a pretty competitive, uh, pretty competitive conference, and so you know they're going to have to step their facilities up a little bit. But it any it uh, it'll be a it'll be a great experience for. Her. Well, as, as anything, if y'all have ever looked, I mean, this is not the year to be buying building materials quite yet. Oh, gosh, it's awful. Yeah, <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah, you might want to delay your deck building for a year. Yep. Yeah, you could probably get it half uh, in a year. 
I had a, a colleague of mine, well, not a colleague, but a friend of uh, ours on one of the travel softball teams. He's a, a electrician, and the, the GLCI outlets, they couldn't get their hands on them for a long period of time, and so you couldn't get a house um, to pass inspection because you couldn't get those outlets. Good. Stuff but, you don't think about. Yep. yep. So, well, uh, everybody, I uh, want to thank you all for joining us, and um, we'll be sure to do one of these here again real soon and try to get a little bit more frequency on getting these out, give folks some timely tips, and maybe we'll try to get them a little abbreviated and not not keep everybody tied up for almost an hour. But um, this has been good and a good way, I think, to kick off the kind of 2021 uh, as we move through the year uh have folks thinking about coming here to get some timely info and um also give a shout out for for dares rally if you if you haven't signed up for the reaching out while locked in series be sure to go to our animal science uh website or contact your county extension office and they can put you in touch with dr bullock and get you signed up Otherwise, Dr. Van Valen is putting it on our UKRM Facebook page, and, and you can go there and, and watch it on the Facebook page as well. Thank you all. Thank you, Jeff. Adios. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Beef Bits Podcast. We hope you found it enjoyable and informative. Be sure to subscribe to the Beef Bits Podcast for future episodes as well as listen to previous ones. Until next time, be safe and reach out to your county extension office for more information on beef management topics.